Bumming with Bob Let's have a few brews We'll have some fun With the bum wine crew So kick your feet up And grab you a beer Cause damn man I'm glad that you're here All right, all right, all right. This is Bumwine Bob welcoming you to an all-new edition of Bumming with Bobcat. And joining the show this week, he is a indie comic writer, screenwriter. He's a guy who enjoys a cold beer or two. Uh, and I also found out he's searching for the perfect egg salad sandwich. That's That jives with me. He is the one and only. He's Mr. Eric Borden. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing great, Bob. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks for taking the time coming on the podcast here this week. And yeah, I was like, so are you a, are you an egg salad connoisseur? Absolutely. 100%, man. It's, it's, it's the perfect sandwich, you know, it's yeah, breakfast, I, it's lunch. You can, you can eat it anytime for sure. Yeah. A lot of people give egg salad a lot of hate for some reason. I don't know why I've always been a big egg salad fan, <laughs> but people just don't like, I mean, I, I get it, but I'm, I'm with you on the egg salad. That's why I saw that. And I was like, I like what this guy's head's at. We're on, we're on the same wavelength already. So it, it's only uphill from here. Yeah, man, I get it too. It's, it's one of those things. Like I get it. It's pedestrian, you know, it's egg salad. It doesn't get simpler, but you know, there's so many ways to, to put a wrinkle on it. The bread, you know, how do you season it? Do you add onions or not? There's so many ways to go. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how crazy do you want to get with your egg salad? And while, I mean, maybe, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Maybe we'll, we'll dive deeper into it as, as the podcast goes on. Okay. But I, I know personally, I'm feeling a little, uh, a little parched over here and a little thirsty. So I was about to crack open a, a cold one. Uh, so I don't know, what are, you, what are you drinking over there tonight? Uh, you know, I went with the tried and true. We're going back to the day. I went with the steel reserve this evening. Oh, all right. All right. The, the classic. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm classing it up a little bit just because yeah. I think we need to have more banquets and I got a regular Coors banquet beer okay. that I'm going to be cracking open here tonight. Cause I saw it. I was doing my usual scanning of the, you know, the cooler at the liquor store, trying to pick out the right one. And that, you know, that bright gold Coors can was just kind of staring me at the face like that, that gold bar leading you to it in like in like the movies. And I was like, all right, we, we, we got to go banquet here tonight. So I'm going to crack open this bad boy. Sounds good. I'll do the same. Oh, yeah, that's that's the good stuff right there. Yeah, it's been a while since I've had a steel reserve. I'll tell you that <laughs> as, I've, as I've gotten a little older, I've. I've classed it up myself not much but at least a little bit yeah yeah every once in a while i think it was a few weeks back i picked up a 40 of uh steel reserve and i was like yeah you know why not for another for 249 for a 40 i was like all right i'll i'll, I'll take that any day of the week 100 percent, it's a bargain yeah exactly it's exactly especially now is that a uh is that a tall boy can you got there or a or a regular no, can yeah, we went with the tall boy for sure. I was gonna say because I mean you can get a twelve pack of you know twelve ounce cans of steel reserve. It's like like seven eight bucks if that depending depending on where you are. So I mean it's it's really if you're drinking on a budget, the steel reserve is the way to go. The eight percent it will it will get you good buzz. 
Yeah. Well, I think, I think the experience comes with, you know, letting it get to that right level of warmth as it takes you to work through it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody knows that. Yeah. Exactly. What you're talking about when it's like, okay, when you start drinking it, it's nice and cold. You're like, all right, you know, it's, it's not bad. And then you get about three quarters of the way through it. It starts to warm up there, especially you get one of those hot days. You're outside drinking it. You're like, all right, let me pound this, this guy down quick. Oh yeah. Definitely speeds the equation up for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. It's definitely, uh, you start drinking on a, on the fast lane at that point. Yeah. So I mean, what, what's your go-to drinks? I mean, what, what do you usually drink on a, on a regular basis? Man, I tell you, you know, I've, uh, I'm one of those guys who's moved into the IPA region and I was never, never an IPA guy. Um, I was spent a lot of years in the restaurant industry. Um, you know, that's a natural thing for a writer to get into because it, it gives you that time and stuff like that. But, you know, I had the good fortune. I lived in Atlanta for a short period of time and naturally took a took a job at a business that had 100 taps. You know, wanted to learn more about beer, kind of round out my knowledge in that industry and stuff like that. So I started working in a place with 100 taps. You know, my boss at that point was a, a beer aficionado. I mean, how can you not be when you're running the joint? <laughs> and so he, uh, you know, he had a wealth of knowledge. And, man, that guy was like, he was the guru of that sort of thing. And, you know, I told him IPAs are all the rage, right, in beer today. So everybody's making it with, you know, you name it. They got it. Oh, in yeah, 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 yeah. You, 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 you want everything. You want extra hops, this, that. I had to throw it all in there. Six types of hops, whatever. But, man, this guy was like, you know, he just reached in. I said, I don't like IPA, so whatever. He's like, no, try this. And, man, I'll be telling you, as, as far as gateway drugs go, that uh, that first one he tasted me on, he, he's like, this is the IPA for guys who don't like IPAs. And, you know, after that, it like I said, it was the gateway drug. I just kept moving. And that was uh, Creature Comforts, which is out of Atlanta, Georgia. Creature Comforts did a Tropicalia, which is absolutely amazing. And so that kind of opened me up to that experience, which was cool. And yeah, no. I'm one of those guys who likes that skunky. Uh, you're, you're that IPA. You like to drink that that extra hoppy uh, pine pine cone. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, man. I never, and I'll tell you, Bob, I never would have thought I was that guy. There's no question. I was like, I do not like them, period, the end. And, man, he just he showed me that one, offered me some other ones, and, you know, just kind of stepped it up from there. So, like I said, man, when it's that gateway drug, that was it. So, yeah, no. You know, and I'm trying Imperials and everything else, but it'll get you there quick, man. You know, you know? well, right. I, I was going to ask you, are you, are you one of the, like the high ABV IPA drinkers? Like you'll go for like that nine, 10% IPA. I'll definitely do it, man. But you don't want to, you don't want to get too many of those on you. It, it, it has a funny way of doing it. You'll, you know, you drink a few beers. Sure. You're six, seven, eight percent That's fine. But you get something in the 9.9 range. You have three of those and you, you know, you turn the corner a lot faster. Yeah, well, ex- exactly. That, that's what I was saying is the higher ABVs is you have, you know, two, two or three of those. And then, then you're out, you're, you're done for the night. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or you're way ahead of everybody else. That's for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a trade-off. It depends. Okay. It depends on what's your plan for the evening. Uh, are you planning on like day drinking going all night? Or is it already, you know, nine o'clock and you're just kind of having a few and just kind of capping the night off? 
it, it's a trade-off of, okay, what's, what's your plans? That's where you have to think about your drinking for the day. <laughs> okay, I have to plan accordingly because I've had some buddies who are big IPA fans and always tried to get me into them, and I'd try them, and they were just never for me. I'll, I'll drink some here and there, but it's definitely not on the top of my list. And I remember back in the day, you know, doing some like afternoon barbecues and, you know, my buddy will show up with whatever the eight, nine percent IPA is. And he has like the big bottle, not not a growler size, but it's like maybe like a 24 ounce bottle. And he's like starts drinking it. And then by like, like, like like six o'clock at night, he's laying on the couch. He's shot. Like that's like. And we're still outside hanging out, drinking, having a good time. It's like, dude, salt you, you got to you got to pick and choose where you bring those IPAs. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's crazy. I mean, but like you said, there, there's so many of them that you can really go down that that rabbit hole of trying out different ones. So I guess, like you said, it really is a gateway drug to <laughs> more. I mean. I, I, I like trying out different beers and different craft beers, not more of the IPAs, but if you get me some of the, the lagers or things like that, I'm, I'm more on board with that and the wheat beers, but I'll, I'll try them out and just see, see how they fare, but it's not something I'm going to really go to and say, okay, where's that, where's that IPA? I need it. Yeah, no, I was the same for a, a very long time, but yeah, once, you know, once my eyes got open to the fact, now I'm that guy who goes looking for it. So. <laughs> but the beauty of it is, and here's, here's the beauty of it. Like you'll bring, you know, you bring a six or a 12 pack somewhere and nobody else wants it. So you're flying solo missions everywhere, which is a beautiful thing. Nobody's drinking your beer. That's <laughs> true. It's, and, and, and you can do, you can, most of the time you can accomplish the same thing, bringing a, a 12 pack of steel reserve with you. <laughs> most people are not going to pick that one up either. That's why I show up somewhere with even a, like a like a Colt forty five or something, and and my buddies like like our Fourth of July weekend. I had probably just like it was just a little four pack of like the sixteen ounce cans that I picked up. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, we're really doing the Colt forty five today." I'm like, "Hey, I'm doing the Colt forty five. If you want to have one, you know, feel free. Uh, if not, uh, more for me." So absolutely. <laughs> so hey, d- don't hate it, man. Don't don't be a hater. Now, nah, well, go back to your roots. I mean, ain't that where everybody starts? Let's be honest. It's where everybody yeah, starts, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's what I say all the time. We we go through, we we embrace the, the bottom shelf, the cheap booze, the stuff that's the the college, high school drinking days of the stuff you started out with. I mean, who didn't go to parties and with you know the the natty light or, or keystone light or whatever or, or or the or the Milwaukee's best, the beast. I yeah, mean, there's, <laughs> I mean, like, don't don't try to fool anybody. You you drank this stuff. It's just I'm out here now, still drinking it and <laughs> and embracing the, the culture and trying to you know spread the good word to the people of saying, hey, there's still a time and a place for this. I mean, you can you can drink your IPAs all you want, but sometimes you want you want to get in there. You want to get that steel reserve and just kind of. You know, a little, little nostalgia to take you back. Yeah, it's just it's just good to get down with. When I stopped tonight to pick it up, you know, I almost went all the way back to to the roots with, uh, you know, I started, like most people, with OE800, you know, old mm-hmm. English. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was the number one, you know, and I used to, you know, extol the virtues of charcoal filtering to people and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, believe me, obviously, but yeah. People got to embrace it, man. That That's what we're here for. 
to, 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 to spread the word and tell them to try it out. Now, I'm sure. Now, have have you traveled down the the Bumwine Road in the past too, with the the you know the MD 2020 Night Train Thunderbird, Cisco, all that stuff. Absolutely, man. And then I, I had a buddy named Robert, and when we were in those days, you know, we used to go to the cash and carry. You know, hopefully this doesn't get me in trouble. We were kids, so you, you know, you go in and you shoplift the MD 2020 off the shelf and stuff like that. And there were woods behind the cash and carry, so you used to have to if you knew if you made the corner and jumped the fence, you were good because they're not going to follow you into the woods. Yeah. But my buddy Robert swore by Manischewitz, like <laughs> that was his go-to. I was like, man, are you? are you Jewish? And he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, well, how did you get hooked up with Manischewitz? And he's like, nah, man, I just, it was one of those things. And that was his, his drink of choice. I, I couldn't get on board, but it's always right. It's always right there next to it. I mean, you know, when you go into the store and you're looking for the bum wine, you search for the Manischewitz. And when you find that, you know, okay, if, if they're going to have it in stock, it's going to be right there <laughs> next to it. Place. You know, you're in the right spot. It's between the, the Manischewitz and the Arbor Mist is really where you find like the MD 2020 or a, a wild Irish rose or something like that. That's that you're looking for will be right in that, that sweet spot right there. Oh yeah. But still, yeah. Hey, Hey, at that time, man, you do what you got to do. You know, it's it, 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 a long time has passed since then. So I don't, I don't think they're going to come after you now for, for taking the, the MD 2020. No, probably not. You know? Yeah. They've written that off a few decades ago, probably by now. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but, but that, hey, it's the fun of it. Like I said, it's all it's all the bottom shelf, the cheap stuff that, that people grew up with, and you just gotta embrace it, man. It, there's a time like I had a party uh, a couple weeks ago. My friend was like, "Okay, do you have any?" Uh, like we had just regular beer, wine, you know, around, and my buddy's like, "Hey, do you have any uh, any whiskey or?" Or anything like that. And I'm like, I, I didn't, I didn't have any on hand. And I'm like, well, well, I do have some MD 2020 in the fridge. And he's like, all right, screw it. So, so broke out the MD 2020, had a little, uh, the, the, um, the golden pineapple, the, the, the okay. newest kid on the block. And then the orange Jubilee MD 2020 had them separate first. They were mixing them together. And they're like, you know, this stuff isn't that bad. I'm like, Guys, look, I've been telling you this for years. <laughs> right. it's, it's not as bad as you make it out to be. And people, it's a time and a place for it. And if you really want to get that buzz going, it's right there for you. Well, see, and I think your friend's decision speaks volumes about what that situation really is, man. It's any port in a storm, right? Like that's, you're at a party, you're chilling, you know, you, you, you have the opportunity to go a few different ways. And yeah, man, at the end of the day. Like you said, any port in a storm. Yeah, you, like I said, you want to get to that next level. That's where you got. It. You hop on, you hop on that train. You know, no pun intended. With if you have a little night train, it's going to take you to the next station and get you going. Always. Yeah, but yeah, you, you can't go wrong with it with any of this stuff. I mean, it's a, a wide variety of drinks that are out there. I mean, is there anything else that that you'll drink? Are, are you a like a hard alcohol type person, or do you usually just stick to beer most of the time? Well, now I, I stick to mostly beer, you know, cause I, I can, can roll that buzz a little bit better. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a little easier to maintain and stay in the zone where I want to get to. I used to be a tequila guy for sure. I worked in the nightclub business for a lot of years and that was a, 
that was the drink of choice was, I guess, Patron was really big at that time. And so everybody, I mean, it probably still is. So, you know, I stopped going to nightclubs a while ago, but yeah, I used to be a tequila guy big time. So I'll have a sip of that every once in a while. You know, my wife drinks wine, so we'll, we'll split a bottle every once in a while, but yeah. Yeah. Tend to stick to beer. Yeah. It's, it's funny as you, as you get older, where your, your palate navigates to, when it comes to drinks, I know a lot of people I talk to will say they, they don't drink as much beer as they get old, older and they'll go into the, the whiskey or, or more liquors like that on a more regular basis. But I'm like, people always ask me, they say, Hey, what do you, what do you, what's your usual go to? I'm like, I'm, I'm a beer drinker nine times out of 10. I mean, I'll, I'll have a regular, like, normal wine, not, not a bum wine, every now and then if there's, yeah. if, if there's a bottle or something around. But it's certainly not something I'm going out to pick up. Like, people, friends that are always like, oh, yes, Friday night, I got to open up a bottle of wine and, and relax. I'm like, yeah, just give me a few beers. I'm good to go. Yeah, same. I think I delved into the wine world as, as like collateral damage of working in the restaurant business and stuff like that. So, you know, it comes kind of comes with the territory in that situation. So, yeah, you just try things out as they, as they come in. They say, hey, you should try out this wine. You're like, all right, well, screw it. I'll I'll do it. Same thing. You go into the liquor store and you got wine samples. It's like, well, I'm not going to say no to free wine. Uh, <laughs> I'll certainly yeah, try it out. At the end of the day, it's all about broadening your horizons, right? Whether yeah. that's, you know, Chateau Petrus, which is well out of my price range, or, you know, you're drinking MD 2020. Exactly. Yeah. You try it out. You might you might find something you like. I mean, I know I had some friends who were like, hey, try this wine. And I'm like, you know, this is pretty, pretty good. I mean, it's pretty tasty stuff. I have no problem drinking it. Um, is this something that I'll go out and buy? You know, maybe not. But I'll certainly drink it. But but I'm not always the best one to uh, rate or rank and say, okay, is this drinkable or not drinkable? Said my my palate is is very uh, unsophisticated. So <laughs> uh, yeah, you and I are in the same boat there. Like I've, I've tasted quite a lot, but you know, as my wife would say, she's she's like, you know, I feel like it's wasted on you. And I'm like, well, you're not wrong, honey. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, hey, I'm like, don't don't waste the fifty dollar bottle of wine on me. Uh, I'm fine with the ten dollar bottle <laughs> or or even less when when it comes to that. If it's a real wine, I'm like, don't waste the good stuff on me. I'm not one that's gonna sit here and and you know, put in my glass, swirl it around, take in the the aroma. Give me oh, there's a hint of of whatever <laughs> in it. I'm just gonna drink and be like, eh, that's not bad. Is it drinkable? Yes. I'll have some more. Well, there's always time to develop a nuanced palate, I suppose. You know? That's true. That's true. I just say, hey, m- maybe down the line. You never know what might happen, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you said you were, you know, back in the day you were working in the restaurant business, you were working at the nightclubs, and now, I mean, I know you're a, a a comic writer now, screenplay writer. I mean, how did you start getting into into that? Was that something you've been doing for a long time, or was it something that just one day kind of the light bulb went off for you? Well, yeah, you know, um, I'm going to date myself here. You know, in, in the '90s, going to movies pretty religiously and stuff like that. And a buddy of mine, uh, we watched 
you know, Rob Roy with Liam Neeson in it. And, you know, I thought that was the, the definitive Scottish film because of Tim Roth's uh, portrayal of Cunningham. And I thought it was just such a, such a nasty villain. And he's like, well, if you want to see a Scottish film out at the same time was Braveheart. And, you know, that was, that was the film that, that kind of changed my trajectory. And I saw it and, you know, what changed my trajectory was the fact that I, I'm a pretty stoic guy. I always have been, you know, and, and watching that movie, I sat down, I wept openly and that's not me, dude, or at least it wasn't then, you know, as a, as a much younger man, you know, I was a, a dude who liked to dust it up and fight. And, right, and, right, and right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, you not know? this overly sensitive person that was. No, uh, not even close. I'm the yeah. dude who's going to fight you on the basketball court. Right. That's, that's <laughs> the thing. Like I wasn't, I wasn't that guy. And so, you know, that took me to a place and, and had an epiphany and it was like, you know, if, if someone sat down and wrote that and it could have such an effect on me as a person where it would pull that emotion out of me. I want to be part of that. Like no question. I want to be part of that thing because it seemed like such a a noble pursuit, right? Like, I think we all quest for that sort of thing in our life, you Mm -hmm. know, at the, at the end of, of all of this thing that, that we're doing here. I think when you get there, you, you just want to have a noble pursuit. And I think a lot of people, you know, pine for that, whether secretly or not secretly. And so I thought that would be a noble pursuit. Of course, I was extremely young. And so, you know, where do you go? You go to film school. Okay, great. Went to film school. Came out of film school. And, you know, I was in Orlando. I'd grown up in Florida. So went to film school in Florida, directed a short, you know, was writing, won some course director's awards, did the the education thing. But to me, it still felt like the, the writing was very wooden. You know what I mean? Being in my twenties, not really knowing much, not having a lot of, a lot of life under me and stuff like that. So, but I still knew I wanted to do it. So was bouncing while I was attending film school in Orlando was bouncing at house of blues in Orlando and, Okay. You know, doing my thing, ID in the door, had that job while I was going to film school, you know, moonlighting like most people do in college. You know, yeah, you yeah, yeah. You got to do your thing. And so my boss, when he was there, you know, he's like, I had a knack for IDs. It's just something about, you know, smelling a lie on a person, I guess, <laughs> and uh, a wayward childhood. Yeah, you, you had a good BS meter to uh, yeah, and so catch and people. Boss, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my boss, you know, he had come from Las Vegas. And he's like, Hey man, you want to make some money? Go to Vegas. And I'm like, okay, well, that sounds great. Almost to LA, make some money. That sounds great. Coming out of, out of school. Let's do that. So I moved to Vegas, got me a job there. ID in the line and totally got into the life there, man. He was not wrong. You know, the nightclub <laughs> life in, in Las Vegas can be extremely seductive. And so I did that for a number of years and kind of just abandoned the writing altogether, abandoned the idea of, you know, the film industry and things like that, because, you know, it was a kind of a Bacchanalian just smorgasbord in Las Vegas. It's everything Las Vegas is and, and what have you. So got involved in that and was making money hand over fist, spending money hand over fist as, as is Vegas. Yeah, the money comes in, it goes right back out. Oh, yeah. Okay. Just kind of living that life, dude, and was absorbed in it. And it was both an education, which was really great. And it was a way to spend five or six years that, that truly helped me evolve as a, as a person. And so that idea of my early twenties being there and being like, you know what, I didn't have a lot of life under me. I didn't have the ability to, you know, 
pull from this great wealth of knowledge that writers can and should have to really inject that feeling into your writing and stuff like that. So, you know, I one day entered a contest after about five years. I was like, Oh, this, this looks really interesting. There's a, a contest that came up on Facebook of all places or, or saw it on social media somewhere. I can't even remember now. It's been so long ago, but there was a contest called the NYC midnight contest. And it was a kind of a writing prompt contest, short screenplay sort of thing where they give you a genre a subject and an object. And that spurred me. I was like, okay, here's something I can do, you know, in a sh- very short period of time in between parties and hanging out and doing what I was doing at that time. <laughs> Piqued my interest, right? Yeah, so, just it get get you back on the uh, get you back on the horse again, so to, so to speak. Yeah, it was just a, a weird kind of you know, and I'm, I guess call it serendipity, if you will. And so, yeah, man, entered the contest. I think I paid thirty five bucks or something to get into the contest, and it was going to be fun. And, you know, seemed like a good way to take up 48 hours. So did that, wrote a script, um, and it finished first place, which was oh, really nice. cool. And I was like, oh, huh. You know, and I hadn't written anything in four or five years at, at all since I'd graduated. So I was like, wow, that's kind of neat. That <laughs> like, oh, wow, didn't expect that, but hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, it just, it, it weirdly, and now I can say that looking back, it, to me, at least at that point, it piqued my interest. I was like, yeah, it represented kind of an evolution, right? Because I had not anticipated doing that well. And so it represented an evolution. So I did a few more of those. I did a few more contests, just stuck with it and, and did that. And, you know, I'd moved out of the nightclub at this point and, you know, got a little more serious. Met my then girlfriend, now wife. So moved out of the nightclub business and, you know, moved into the the more staid and stable restaurant business and so kind of did that and wrote some more scripts and you know did did well did not so well you know kind of got those pieces out and I was like oh well you know I feel like I'm ready to tackle a feature you know write a feature you know what they call the big movie you know 90 minutes two hours something like that and like well where do you go to do that you know look online and see who has programs (laughs) available that you can get into right and so being so close to LA, it was USC or UCLA, right? Those are the, those are the two film schools. So like, okay, well, UCLA has a program. They have a extension program that anybody can attend and you're going to write, you're going to get a screenwriting certificate and write two, two scripts during that time and all that. And they have a contest that's involved and all that. So I sat down and I wrote a script called fever, which was a neo-noir detective film with elements of horror in it. You know, so just about a methamphetamine addicted private detective who just has this life. It's set in New Orleans and he he hallucinates his daughter when he gets really high and she's she's dead. She's passed away years prior. So, you know, wrote this really gritty detective noir while I was there at UCLA and entered it into the contest there. And it finished third place in their contest. And I was like, oh, you know, I guess I can. Yes, I can do Things this. I can, I can do this one. I don't want to ask you now. Something about writing a script like that. Now, is that your own idea? Like all that just came to you from your own brain, or is that an idea from somebody else that you, <coughs> you know, kind of evolved it and wrote a script about it? No, that was purely my idea. You know, okay. I, I knew that I wanted to write. You know, I first of all fell in love with New Orleans. Um, hung out with a dude in, in film school, Nate Bosley. He, he lived outside of new Orleans. Um, 
in Covington and, you know, took him home and after school and hung out with his mom for a few weeks. And, you know, it was awesome to have, you know, Nate and his mom, Karen, take me into New Orleans and being there with locals and just being, you know, having someone teach you about all the things you couldn't know just by being a tourist, you know, which was really cool. So he grew up there, a buddy of mine and his mom had lived there forever. So just getting that and seeing the, all the hidden things that you didn't know and, and all the way that the city worked and how the gentrification worked and where the dividing lines were in the neighborhoods and, and all of those things, it, it just seemed like such a rich environment. And so I always knew I wanted to set a story there and, and, you know, discovering that place helped me marry it to, it just, it's a really gritty, lovely, dirty place. And it's just so cool. It's so complicated. And I knew I wanted to set a place there and it seemed like the natural setting for this sort of thing, because it has that air of history and voodoo and magic and, you know, the, the Creole nature of the history and things of that nature. So just, just a crazy deep place to write about. And so, yeah, I always knew I wanted to write there developing the character Shaker Freeman for fever and giving him a mission and, and all of those things and kind of melding the genres of that film noir, you know, flawed hero detective piece and, and marrying that with, you know, New Orleans seemed natural. And so, yeah, it came off really well. So, Yeah. The, uh, the perfect storm there of having it all come together. <laughs> as, it seemed as like it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because that's what I was, I was wondering where like growing up before you had your like epiphany of, okay, I want to get into screenwriting movies, things like that. Now, prior to that, now, did you do any type of writing or anything? Cause I know a lot of times people say that ever since they were really little, they'd always have these ideas and, and about writing stuff and wanting to be a writer. I mean, did you ever think about that before that? Or it was just that one day, I mean, it was, this is what I want to do. No, it was that one day without a doubt. I mean, there were always, there were inklings there because I was, you know, I was the, I wasn't a very good student. I got through high school and athletics for sure, but I was also the kid who was in honors English and like remedial math. Okay. So okay. It was, it was naturally there as like a point of interest, but I would, I didn't set out saying, yeah, I've been writing stories since I was a young man and stuff like that. Yeah. Always interested in comics and film like from the get go. Okay. So always okay. interested in those but never had the idea that I was going to write those things. <laughs> right. That, that element. I was the Dungeons and Dragons nerd who thought <laughs> those things were really cool. But then, you know, as I got older and as I got larger athletics kind of emerged as the thing I was going to do. Yeah. That, that took, that took the, the front burner and then the other stuff was in the back. It was like, all right, I'm going to focus on the sports and athletics and then the Dungeons and Dragons and that stuff will just kind of be on, on the backside of things. Yeah. You could say I was a hobbyist for sure. You know, hey, hey, whatever works, man. <laughs> you do what you got to do always uh, when it comes down to it, and especially that because it's because I thought it, it's it's crazy how you, you you go through the whole circle of everything. You know, you start doing you know writing, then you take a break, then all of a sudden you come back into it again, and then where you're at now, you're you're kind of that's what you're focused on now fully. I mean, this is like this is what I am now. This is what I do now from your screenplays. And you started to go into to comics more. And after that, I mean, was it 
wanting to do more on, on a comic side of things or in what, cause like I said, you wrote a screenplay and, and a movie and then you go down the comic road. Was it just you wanting to take that turn yourself? No, that came as like a, a almost, you know, I, I want to say a natural evolution, but it was more like a, you know, based on experience. Cause as I wrote fever and the cool thing about the contest at UCLA is they feature you in the Hollywood Reporter. They have a, a full page ad. They put where you placed. I finished third. And so you start to get it. You start to get some buzz from Hollywood because obviously UCLA is vetted. Everybody knows who the instructors are. It comes, it comes with a certain level of understanding, right? Like you go to UCLA, if UCLA vets your script, it's, it's better than having a reader, right? These are people who work in the industry, know what they're talking about. And so it was a cool thing to kind of leap a phalanx of, of readers, right? You know, nobody in Hollywood gets fired for saying, for saying no. They get fired for saying yes and not having it turn out, right? right. So having a contest like UCLA already vet your script and then publish the winners in the Hollywood reporter, which is like the industry rag for Hollywood. So full page ad, there you are, your script's out there. So there was some heat in Hollywood and I started to get some reads and things like that from, you know, a number of producers. So you got to leap a whole bunch of people just by virtue of that, you know, producers are, Hey, let me look at your script. What is this? All that. So kind of went through that, you know, and eventually, you know, the heat dies down. They're like, oh, film noir is not playing now. Stuff like that. Okay, great. So kind of go through that. And then I put it on Ink Tip, which is, you know, uh, you know, I knew the script was good, obviously. It fared well in, in contests. I entered it in some other things. It was a notable project at Amazon Studios when they were kind of giving out that distinction and things like that. So I knew the script was really good. And so going through that, it eventually got optioned uh, by a gentleman who runs a company in Hollywood. His name's Justice Bowens. And he had access to Michael Bean from Terminator. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all of those things. And so, you know, it's, oh, you know, Michael's hype on this. He wants to be in it. It's kind of cool. Like, oh, dude, that's awesome. That's like my fifth grade dream come true. Right, right? yeah. (laughs) Yeah, dude, like. Yeah, where where do I sign up? Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I I couldn't get my name on the dotted line fast enough. It was one of those things that, you know, at that point in my career, you know, there's no money involved. There's very little. You're just trying to get in. And I'm like, dude, if if I go to my deathbed with Michael Bean being in my movie and I make a little dough, that's great, right? Yeah. Yeah, dude, it's a dream come true. You don't talk about, oh man, I wish I would have made another 40 grand on that check. You you worry about the big things. And so moving into that and and developing that notes for the director, things of this nature, you know, we went through some rewrites and what have you. And then um, you know, like things in Hollywood do, they get shelved. And, you know, I like to say Jen, Jennifer Blancbean, who's his wife, got got pregnant and they have an awesome son and they're Hollywood royalty so they can shelve their projects and do what they want to do. And that's awesome, man. Like, I just wish they would have made my movie. First. I know. <laughs> I know you're so hyped. You're like, Oh man, this is going to be awesome. And then it's like, Oh yeah, well it's not happening. And you're like, yeah, and that's damn okay. it. Oh, it's, it's such a you know, burst in that bubble that you have. You're like, Oh, this is going to be great. Then it's like, gosh, shit. (laughs) You know, and that's at the end of the day, that's, that's the big deal. It's it's the work that matters. And I think that's what, you know, the evolution of my career from, you know, being a 
a kid who didn't know he wanted to write to discovering it, to writing, to not writing, to, to moving into film and, and, you know, getting a little bit of traction there. It's like, well, what's the next pivot, right? You're always moving. You don't worry about it. You just do the work. And so I was like, well, you know, that wasn't the, the experience I was looking for was, was that piece. And so I'm like, well, what can I do where it doesn't need a whole bunch of people to get done? You know, what can I green light myself and make happen? Like, well, I can make a comic book, right? I can find an artist, make a comic book. Anybody can go to any comic convention anytime they want and sell their book. And so I was like, okay, well, let's bet on me. Cool. So I went back to the well. I told you I'd been doing that NYC midnight contest for mm -hmm. a long time. And so I'd written, uh, written a script um, that I think, if I remember correctly, was called A Thousand Bursting Sunflowers. And it had to do with a, a neo-Japanese neo samurai and his mutant valet. And basically they were going to go steal a hallucinogenic octopus, right? And so, <laughs> yeah. So Captain Hans wants to steal this octopus so he can take it and hallucinate more than anybody else on the entire planet. So I wrote that script and I was like, man, you know, I, I was really interested in those characters, Hans and this guy called Saigo. So I'm like, man, that's, that's a cool idea. So, you know, but it's also a big budget script. It's not something that Hollywood's ever going to give me money to make. I mean, maybe if I made a couple movies, maybe they will, you know, I can always, can always hope it ascends to avatar level, but so I write this script and I fell in love with Hans and Saigo. And so in looking at them, I was like, you know what? I just want to see these guys in the real world. I just want to have a picture drawn of them so that I can see them and what they look like. I'm in love with these guys. So went on to what was called freelance at the time, found an artist, you know, and I was just going to have them draw these two characters, right? whether it lived on my office wall and I had some cool art to look at, I just wanted to see them in the real world. So I found Dave Mims, who's a, an exceptional artist, um, found him and had him draw Hans and Saigo from this script, a thousand bursting sunflowers. And so Dave drew him. And then I was talking to a buddy of mine one day, like months and months later, you know, hung it on my office wall, looked at it. It's great. Talked to my buddy one day and then it clicked all at once you know, oh man, those guys run a whaling ship in the future because it's a post-apocalyptic ice caps have melted and boom, it just took off from there. And so I hit up Dave and I'm like, Hey Dave, you want to make this book called Scrimshaw? And we made a book called Scrimshaw and we took it, did exactly what we said we were going to do. We took it to a convention all by ourselves, picked it up 24 pages, printed it ourselves, and then took it to a convention, right? Cause that was the mission after the film kind of failed. We're going to take it to the audience ourselves. That's what we're going to do. So we did that shortly thereafter, it got picked up for distribution by Alterna comics. And so that's pretty cool, you know, and we are currently working on issue 11. We had 10 issues published worldwide, three volumes of Scrimshaw working with Dave and uh, Spike Alakja. He's the letterer. Um, had the good fortune on volume three to work with Ryan Wynn. He's done some work from DC. Uh, he's inked Batman and all that. So yeah, it kind of took off from there, which was really cool. It was one of those, you know, I keep going back to serendipity, but it was one of those things where, you know, you create your own luck, right? And so you gotta, you gotta bet on yourself and, and, uh, 
and hope hope it all works out. Yeah. You, so we took it to the world, man, and we got 10 issues in, which was really cool. Took me to San Diego Comic Con, took me to, you know, all over. We've done a ton of cons with it and, you know, went on hiatus, obviously, during the pandemic. But we're working on issue 11 currently, and, you know, we're moving on from there. That's good. That's that's good. I mean, I mean, where do you want to focus more on? Do you want to stick in the the comic world, or do you want to try to get back into the the screenwriting movie aspect well, of it? Yeah, interestingly enough, one of the cool things about it is, I mean, obviously, you know, there are a ton of things emerging from the comics industry. You know, everybody's looking for content. You know, it's it's kind of the wild west right now with streaming and things like that. Right, right whether it's Netflix or Apple TV or Hulu or any of these places that are popping up. So any of these things that are popping up, dude, it's, it's, everybody's looking for, for IP. So we, uh, during our tour with Scrimshaw, you know, we had a, a great opportunity to get out there and press the flesh and meet people, you know, cons are, are just a wealth of creativity and creative people all just hustling the game. Right. Like people show up to a convention and it's some of the most creative people you'll find there are things being done out there that you just haven't discovered yet, which is crazy, you know, cause you know, we, like we all know, social media, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you're into, it's showing you what to look at, right? It's, it's leading you to where you want to go, but there are people showing up to conventions right now with projects that will knock your socks off. And just, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Some of these don't ever get to see the light of day, but one of the cool things is, you know, you get to meet people, you get to build your network. And at one of those conventions, uh, when I lived out West in Las Vegas, we were doing the convention circuit with Scrimshaw and I ran into a guy at Palm Springs comic con and his name was Kyle Brummond. He was an artist there. He had a couple of his books there, justice and flesh or blood one and two, which was really cool. And so ran into Kyle, you know, you're kind of seeing, checking out what other indie creators are doing and things like that. And, you know, we started seeing each other on the circuit and stuff like that. So a while later, you know, Kyle and I both realized that we lived in Las Vegas, which is kind of cool. Met in Palm Springs. Oh, dude, you live in Vegas. That's cool. And so one of the great things about that is sometime later, as we kind of saw that each one was dedicated to their craft, you know, you, you vet people as they go. You see, you know, comics are fly by night for a lot of people. Yeah. So you you got to see, are, are you legit or are you... Like, uh, yeah, are you, are you just a flash in a pan, just doing this for something quick, hoping for the best, then you move on, or are you really in it for the the long haul? Yeah, man, you're going to put in the work. I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. It, it's all going back to the work, you know? I mean, it, that's at the end of the day, that's what matters. And people can smell if you care about it, you know? Do you care about it? That's at the end of the day, that's that's why I got into it, is to care about the work, you know? It's not about the, the fanfare or the accolades or anything like that. You got to care about the work, dude. And so, you know, Kyle and I just hit each other up one day, like, hey, dude, you want to work on something? And so we had a couple store meetings at, at Green Valley Ranch Casino out in Las Vegas. We met at the Starbucks there a few times and started hashing things out. And we developed a book called Lead City. And we're like, yeah, man, we'll kick it around. Kyle had his thing going. I had my thing going with Scrimshaw. We're, we're kicking it around. And then the pandemic hit, you know, and I think that that was a screeching halt for everybody, right? <laughs> Excuse me. And so it's still reserve, man. It's still reserves hitting you over there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's sitting right. You know, I'm, I'm right about I hear you. See, you're getting that, getting that, that, that gassiness of the, uh, <laughs> dude, I'm at about 
Uh, I'm going to put myself. It's still got some nice sweat on. I'm about about one third left. So that's a good okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, in meeting Kyle and, and kicking around that city, I mean, like, yeah, we'll work on it. But we both had our own things going. And so the pandemic hit, you know, and everything came to a screeching halt, right? Like for everyone, nobody knew what was going on. And so I just hit Kyle up. I'm like, hey, man, now's the time for Lead City. Like, go back to the thing that gives you purpose. When, when everything else seems upside down, let's go back to the thing that gives us purpose, right? So we started working Lead City. Worked Lead City, worked out the characters. And Lead City is basically, it's a Western, right? We'd kick the idea around. And then when we got serious about it, it's a Western. And obviously us both being from Las Vegas, we thought that was a natural fit. And so, you know, we worked it. It's about eight of the wildest outlaws in the wild west and they all come together in this town that's built for a yearly contest in which they all show up everybody goes in at the same time and everybody fights it out best man or woman wins and so i hit kyle up and i'm like hey man now's the time for lead city so we launched it on kickstarter it did pretty well we funded it we launched book two um about six months later and then Red Five Comics, which is another publisher, came knocking, which was pretty cool. You're like, oh man, they came and discovered us, which is kind of how Scrimshaw went. But with Lead City, it was a little different because you can't pitch Red Five; they come to you, which is yeah. pretty cool. And so, well, I think that's always always what you want is people to. I mean, as much as you want to push out your stuff to people, when somebody comes to you about it and they say, oh, "Hey, we want to be a part of this." that makes you feel like you're really onto something because somebody's reaching out to you saying they want to be a part of it. Absolutely. And see, I think that was the key element. You hit the nail on the head, Bob. It was one of those things where, you know, I was tired of asking people for a turn, you know, I was tired of asking people for, yeah. Well, like, Hey, can you read this? Take a look at this, you know, yeah. say, well, let me know what you think. But if somebody comes to you and says, Hey, we saw this, we like it. Can we chat? You're like, okay, cool. This is awesome. Absolutely. And it's like, it's all about the work. It goes back to the work. And it's like, if that's what's driving what you're doing, then you can't go wrong. And so we, we looked at them we're like, yeah, let's do that. You know, we'll sign with red five. So we completed issues three and four, which was really cool. We signed that deal last early last year, everything in publishing works slow, not as slow as film, obviously, but definitely. Right. Slow. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit quicker, but still, I, I can imagine with all this stuff, when it comes to anything publishing, or I mean, while it's not the same as film, it's still very similar with the process to it. Yeah. And that was cool. So we signed the, the deal with them, which was great. And, you know, we kept working on the book, which was really cool. And that's, that's the thing. And that's the beauty of doing it yourself is you're literally allowed to tell the story you want to tell. You know, they came to you at the end of the day. And their only thing was, you know, is there a lot of gratuitous sex? I'm like, no, nah, we just go with the violence. And they were like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. well, I guess that says something about the world at large. Right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. No no, no sex, but violence? That's fine. Add it. Throw it in there. Okay. More, more violent. There you go. <laughs> And that's, that's basically what it is. And it, the irony is, as we get there, one of the cool things is, as Lead City was being released um, from March till the, the next issue is getting ready to come out this month, the fourth issue in the book um, from Red 5, 
one of the cool things is, is a producer came knocking and that's all thanks to red five because they have connections in the industry we don't have. Right. And so as it kind of comes full circle is we now have a shopping deal with the Hollywood producer for lead city. And one of the craziest parts about that, and, and, you know, you go into a general meeting with somebody and I'm much older than the first deal that I had. And so I'm less awestruck, but still the, the producer that we had that general meeting with about lead city, you know, has directed some of my favorite movies over the last 20 or produced rather, sorry, not directed. He's produced some of my favorite movies over the last 20 years, which is pretty darn cool, you know? And I think one of of the coolest things was he put together the pitch deck for it. And as he was reviewing me and selling me on his vision and, and what he wanted for it is some of the inspirations I had in writing one or more of the characters in there showed up in the pitch deck. So when those things line up so perfectly where a producer literally got where you were headed with this and what your inspirations were, it's one of the coolest, most synergistic things that you could ever imagine. And so, yeah, man, it was really cool to have that occur. And so we're looking forward to hopefully landing a lead city film next year, which would be nice. Yeah. On the cake. And that'd be great to see your, your your baby there in <laughs> and and on the big screen with the real deal with everything that would be like you said so much of the of the content these days there's so many different places where you can distribute the content and getting it out there and they want they need definitely hollywood needs new stuff i mean that's very obvious when you see so many reboots and remakes when it comes to things so if somebody can get a movie based off of, of lead city or something you're doing uh, and really get behind it and really see the vision that you have for it. I, I think that's a win-win right there. Absolutely. I mean, they're, like I said, man, there are, there are tons of people doing the most creative things out there whose projects may never see the light of day, but I guess that's the best thing I can offer people is, man, just keep plugging away, you know, good work, cream rises to the top. And it may seem like there are a phalanx of people there to keep you out but you know nobody's out there not looking for good projects exactly exactly and i saw it and when you brought up something before about so many people out there that are like doing similar things and just trying to put content out there and i can't even remember who it was i saw a tweet somebody had out there this morning who was asking i think what a lot of us think when you see okay how many followers do you have on twitter or, or instagram or facebook or whatever and you throw out posts of things, and sometimes they get interactions. Other times they just sit there to to die. <laughs> There's no interactions on it, and you're like, okay, well, I have you know thousands of followers. Nobody interacts with it. Like, what's the story? And you know, people support what you're doing, but somebody replied to that tweet and said, you know, there's just so much content out there that it's hard to keep track of everything when you follow other people you throw out stuff that you think is great and and it might be great but just getting people to see it it's just it's like a roll of the dice when it comes to it a lot of times just hoping that the right the right person sees the right post at the right time and then latches onto it then like you had where they reach out to you and say hey we like this we want to be a part of it yeah, it's just an ocean of content because I, I feel the same way. I mean, 
it's that thing that people talk about all the time, especially in, in the creative arts is like that imposter syndrome. It's like, you're constantly asking yourself, do I even know what I'm doing? It's like, do I know what I'm doing? Yeah. And, and then you wake up something and you're like, do I, should I keep doing this? Should I not do it? it it's like, I'm not getting any return on the investment. And, and when I tell people, even just from the podcast side and, you know, podcast blogging, it's like, you know, if, if you have fun with it, you know, just keep doing it. I mean, if, it, if it's going to hit, it's going to hit. Um, as long as you enjoy it still, you know, stick with it. When it stops being fun, then it's time to wrap it up and move on to something else. Absolutely, man. It all goes back to the work. It's like when I reached out to you, you know, I was like, hey, you know, I, I like what Bob does. Like, we don't have that interaction, but I dig, I dig what he's got going on over there. And you have to check yourself and you shouldn't. It's like, oh, should I even reach out? You know, and it's like, well, yeah, dude, like, it's doing, gonna yeah. Be, yeah, it's going to be a yes or a no. There's no, no harm being right. ventured. And like, yeah. you, you hit the nail on the head. It's like, are you having fun? Would it be cool if I was on the show? Yeah, man, that would be cool. You know, maybe we'll hit it off. Maybe things will go good. And yeah, dude, it's just getting it out there and deciding what you want to do and how you want to work. And it's, a, it's tough. It's a tough process. Like I said, when it comes to creating anything. And while what you do here is certainly a lot more labor intensive and more creative than, than what I do. I mean, I'm, I'm not out here writing any scripts or anything like that <laughs> or, or producing any movies. I mean, Hey, if somebody wants to do one, I mean, I I'm all for it. You know I mean? I have no problem. Uh, everyone wants to do a bum wine movie, uh, hit me up and we, we, we can make that happen. <laughs> but. <Nice. laughs> But what's, uh, I mean, what's, what's next for, I know you have the, uh, I know you have the Kickstarter out there now, uh, for, for the lead city. Um, you, do you want to, you want to talk about that and what else you have coming up? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're funding issues three of four of lead city on Kickstarter. Obviously it's already completed. It's already done, but you know, we felt like issues one and two were funded by our supporters, the people that we knew myself and Kyle Brumman, who was the artist on, on lead city. And we wanted to bring the rest of the series after it was out from red five. We wanted to bring that series to our fans who supported us from the get go. And we wanted to finish out their series in the format they were used to. And so, yeah, you know, with the, the good grace of red five, they allowed us to go ahead and run that Kickstarter aside of the deal that we had. I mean, you know, there's not big money in comics. I mean, obviously on some levels there are, but for them to write that deal for us to allow us to do that and, and bring it to the fans that supported us and support our work. That was just a really cool thing for them to allow us to do. And so, yeah, we have a Kickstarter running right now. We're 85% funded right now. We're a little over a weekend, which is pretty cool. It's the fastest we've ever made it to that number. You can pick up the whole series one through four. You can pick up the full red five run. We got some cool art on there, some other cool stuff. Uh, Kyle's other books, my other books, Scrimshaw, all that stuff is on there. So yeah, you can check it out. Kickstarter.com just search lead city and it's on there. But yeah, it was a, an opportunity for us to, to reach the people that supported us from day one, made all of the success that we have had with it, be it red five or, you know, the potential to get produced in Hollywood. It allowed us to really let them feel the love that we have for them and, and get them the issues in the way that they first supported it, which is really cool. So yeah, we, we love the support. It's built one reader at a time and that's what we're committed to. It's the only way you're going to make it in the comics game is supporting your audience and having your audience support you. And I, th and I think that the comic world 
has has a really solid audience to it that are, are very supportive of of people that they're fans of and they'll and they will get behind it and back it and pledge something like in a Kickstarter to help support it and say, okay, we feel like we're a part of this and part of the process with it. I know it, it, it seems like that more than a lot of different genres that the comic world is more of a it's more of like a tight knit community in, in certain aspects of it. Oh, absolutely. I have, you know, we have fans that, that have been with us since we introduced Scrimshaw in 2016, who, you know, they just enjoy the work that I do and will support every single project that I do, which is, is just awesome, man. It's like, you know, I haven't achieved anything. I've achieved like the smallest measure of success in the business and just having people who, who resonate with that work and enjoy the way I write and stuff like that and have them support it is just the coolest thing. You know, it's, it's what keeps me fresh and keeps me wanting to write and keeps me wanting to do the work and stuff like that. It's like that positive feedback. It could be just from a handful of people, but that positive feedback dude, kind of, you know, renews the well, which is just the coolest thing. Man, that's what keeps you going, man. As long as people support it and give you that, you know, it's, it's just cheerleaders behind you to say, <laughs> okay, keep going, keep doing what you're doing. We like it. Don't, don't, don't give up. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's, that's huge. You know, I'd say that to anybody. If you feel strongly enough about the work, like you said, if you're not having fun, cut it out. But as long as you're having fun and people are out there digging it, you can have that one diehard fan who's waving the flag, man, and it can keep you going. So That's it. That's all it takes. Never discount that piece. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what else? Are you working on anything else now or anything else in the works for you in in addition to the the Lead City? Yeah, we're always working, man. We got Lead City. Kyle and I have talked about a new book that we're getting ready to start. Uh, Like I said, Scrimshaw is. Issue 11 just went to the colorist, a very talented young lady named Ellie Wright. She lives in Ireland. I've been waiting to work with her forever. And so it was really cool to have her come on as the colorist for issue 11. That's with her right now. So hopefully we'll see that over the next couple of months. And uh, yeah, I have another book called Winter Spring. Issue one is in the can, so to speak, to use film jargon there. But issue one is done. It's by a very talented artist out of Australia. His name is Seth Mao, and dude is just super slick. Um, we got that coming up. That'll be launching on Kickstarter here in the next few months. So, yeah, we uh, we just always keep working, you know. And then uh, I'll be kicking around a, a screenplay that I want to write as well. So I might delve back into that over the next year as well. Hey, man, you keep keeping busy over there, that's for sure. There's no uh, no shortage of projects that you have going on over there. So it keeps uh... – Keeps the creative juices flowing, as they say. Yeah, man, I call it the affliction. You know, yeah. the, the writing is the affliction. It's funny. Yeah. My wife said said to me a number of years ago. She, she's like, "You're not a very nice person when you're not writing." And it's like, <laughs> well, I think that was a message. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. All right, so keep writing more. All right, fine. All right, that's what it takes. Yeah. You know? All right, pass me another steel reserve. All right, let's do yeah. it. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I mean. You know, we could we could obviously go down the list of writers who imbibe, but that would probably be a whole, whole other show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe next time we'll, we'll when we reconvene next time, yeah. we'll uh, we'll go down that we'll go down that rabbit hole and see where that takes us. We can cover that <laughs> list for sure. Yeah. Well, hey, Eric, man, I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. You know, chat about the the wonders of the the world of cheap booze, and also 
screenwriting, comics, everything that goes into that. I mean, uh, tell everybody where they can find you, follow you, all that good stuff. Throw out, throw out those cheap plugs. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. You can find me on my website at ericborden.com. That's Eric Borden, ericborden.com. And then you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at 100proofeb. So not hard to find. That'll keep you up on what I got going on. Website's the best place to go, though. Join my mailing list, be on there. Check out all my past and present projects and uh, updates on conventions I'm attending and things like that. So ericborden.com. Awesome, man. Be be looking forward to seeing what's next for you. And fingers crossed that everything works out. And maybe we can see another uh, little, maybe a feature film in the works in the future. You know, fingers crossed. Hopefully, you know, it works out for you. And nobody uh, nobody backs out <laughs> this time around and, and crushes your your hope there. Uh, but, but definitely... Uh, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Uh, good chatting with you. We'll be uh, keeping tabs with you in the future of uh, everything. I mean, I know you're a busy man, so it'll be <laughs> hard to keep up with. Yeah, we just keep working, Bob. I appreciate you having me on the show, man. Like I said, been a fan for a long time. I admire what you're doing. And, uh, yeah, like I said, connecting with something near and dear to my heart, which is, uh, you know, inexpensive libations. That's it. The cheap booze, man. The best of the worst of cheap booze is what we do here at bumwinebob.com and on Bum with Bobcat. He is Mr. Eric Borden. I am Bumwine Bob. And until next time, cheers. I need a beer.